0: The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever. The academy offers tuition to all racers age 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages, or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. A very good day to you and welcome to episode 29 of the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast, where we catch up with everything grassroots that we can possibly reach out to if you've just joined us for the first time a very big welcome you've got 28 other fantastic podcasts to catch up on with some names you may have heard of or you may not have heard of but certainly after you've spent an hour or so with us at the napa grassroots racing podcast you'll get to know these great people that operate in australian motorsport obviously not right at the upper echelon but certainly fitting into great places along the way of course, the Napa Motorsport Academy is what we're representing here, where you can get uh, get to know all about getting faster lap times, getting better sponsors, getting better media proposals, getting better social media representation. We've got Grant Rowley who looks after all of that for us in the background. We've also got a number of supercar drivers that give you the best hints on fitness and getting your mind right for getting those all-important lap times down in your grassroots racing. I'm Darren Smith, and again, this evening, a guy who has slotted into the office at Speed Cafe, albeit from the back room at his place over the last month or so. Been a very, very busy boy after half a decade off sitting around twiddling his thumbs. Gary O'Brien,
1: welcome to episode 29. (laughs) twiddling my thumbs i've been working hard for years and years and years and often sitting at this very desk where i am now i can't wait i can't wait to read the (laughs) autobiography you've clearly been working on then (laughs) my resume (laughs) Uh, you've heard of race to the clouds pike's peak haven't you my word i have yes well tonight's guest has done it twice but how we got there from grassroots racing in Formula Fords and sports sedans, throw in a little bit of time attack. We're going to ask Brett Dickey to fill us in on all those details.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's been a been a good journey watching you guys doing all these podcasts and, and just noticed that we're number 29, which happens to be our number as well. So uh, thank you. I don't know if that's a coincidence, but
0: um, I'm sure two great men like yourself would have sorted that out for me i certainly gaz was uh, the one that suggested that the only thing he's ever come up with that's actually worked was to you know get you on (laughs) on uh, number 29 (laughs) to have you fantastic brett to have you here and um you know great that we've been able to actually organize this so close to what's been going on in your life and we will get to the whole Pike's Peak thing throughout our chat but um fantastic we we sort of reached out to you you're in the truck on the way back from pikes peak over to california and you were worn out tired and um um, you know you really did get a bit of a spring in your step when i said that the napa grassroots racing podcast was going to be uh, one of your early media commitments when you got back to australia
2: yeah, it's, um, I was surprised to see your message because I'm still, um, I wasn't up to everyone's time of day and where they were and and to see a message come from yourself after all the times that we've spent in a commentary booth together um, always puts a bit of a smile on my face and, and any time I get to to speak to an Australian about what I've been doing over there is um, always a good thing. So um, yeah, sitting in the truck, driving through the countryside, I think I was about Utah on the way, um, I think we when we spoke and um, looking at all the scenery of uh, of nothing. Um, and it was worthwhile uh, wasting some time talking to you, Darren.
0: Wasting time anyway. Let's get on with this. We'll uh, waste a little bit of time here, I guess. What do you think? Uh, episode number 29 is race number and starting off like that. Um, Brett, it's been, uh, as I said, it's been fantastic you know with the modern means of communication we can keep in touch with not just yourself but many many australian race drivers and even our favorite whatever uh foreign race drivers as well um let's go right back to the very beginning uh one of the first questions we always ask here is you the first time you went to the racetrack the rally track a stage the speedway whatever it was what was your feelings what's your memories and was it you know i'm just going to make this my life was that how it was for you Uh,
2: not really. Um, I had a little bit of a, a weird, uh, introduction to racing. So obviously my dad, who's, um, a key part in my motorsport career was racing go-karts and, and we used to go to street, street races back then, which was Bansdale street race. And that was always a, a pinnacle of, of that year of racing. So we went along there and, um, my dad was sort of talking to my brother about racing and, and if he wanted to do it and, I was always sitting on the sideline saying, what about me? let give me a shot at this. And uh, my brother, I got the first look in. So um, there was me changing tyres and cleaning go-kart wheels and and trying to prove that I could have something to go here. And, um, yeah, strangely enough, my brother sort of gave up on racing and um, the go-kart was sitting in the shed and gave my dad to give me a run at it. Um, so so lucky enough, he did. And and from that moment, standing in the main street of Bansdale, I... I knew that I wanted to do racing, and I didn't know how far I would go. And um, I was only about six years old at the time, so um, definitely a kid from Noble Park at six years old, standing in Banstead looking at a go kart. Definitely didn't think I'd be where I was um, a couple of weeks ago. But um, yeah, it's just I think if you set your sights on it from a young age, and as a a young go karter standing in the in a street looking at a um, looking at a go kart track, you
0: never thought you would. um, turn it into anything to be honest how long did you go like from six years of age how long were you work how long did you race the go-karts for and where did that take you yeah so um obviously we started go-karts i think back then
2: the legal age was seven before you could start racing and um we did a lot of lot of years of karting all the way through till i was if if i'm correct about 15 years old and um we, we approached a couple of Formula Ford teams and, and back then, um, Greg Woodrow, who who I think is still currently involved with uh, Magal Formula Fords, uh, was the one to have a conversation with us. So from the age of 15, I was running around in a Formula Ford and and that moved into state level racing. And um, like, like so many drivers out there, and I'm not the only one, um, the cost of some grassroots levels of racing sort of caught us out. And. Um, had to sit on the sidelines for a while, but it was a, it was a steady, a steady run through the junior ranks of motorsport. And, um, I, I owe a lot to, to Greg Woodrow and the whole G-Force team for allowing me that introduction into
0: Formula Ford, if you have it. So the, just going back to the karting, did you, did you get around much? Was it just Bansdale, the street race there, or did you do other, other events in the karting world?
2: No, so we, um, we obviously travelled all over Victoria. Um, that's as much as we could let the budget to extend. So we did the likes of City of Melbourne titles and um, I did the Portland Street Race um, back in the day and and did the Country Series and the Air Sprint Classic back in the day where all the, all the junior kids used to go and try to make a, a name for themselves, which obviously was funded by the, the Blanchard family back in the day. And um, there was a lot of young drivers there, which are all over the world now um, and trying to cut my teeth at that level. And though, look, the the cost of go-karting back then was, was high. Um, I know it's a lot higher now, but we did as much as we could on the budget we got and and traveled around as a, as a family in our little, um, two go-kart trailer and went to as many tracks as we could. And obviously I wasn't able to work and pay for it. So whatever my mum and dad could help me do was, um, was greatly appreciated. And, I used to be out there washing cars and mowing lawns and picking up dog poo and anything I could to to make sure I could get into the go-kart the next weekend and and um yeah my family put a lot on the line to to definitely get me through go-karting and um yeah I can I can never say thank you enough for those memories so, and obviously yeah
1: so some of the names you would have raced against that we might be we might know of uh
2: so back then it would have been percat um Scott Pye um, at the time. Uh, who else would we have had? I think off the top of my head, those probably two would have been the the major ones that were floating around. There's still a few people that are currently in go-karting. Obviously, Dave Saris um definitely said his um name around the world. So he was mm. he was at my age level as well. So there's there's a lot that have made it and and obviously not pointing fingers. There's there's probably more people. That didn't make it, than the ones that made it, which I thought um, definitely should be hands above and and heads above the
1: people that actually did. To be honest, well, you're talking about finances, that probably that had a lot to do with it, that they just couldn't make that next step.
2: Yeah, and and obviously that that would have been a, a a massive factor to it. I know it was a factor in my racing and the way and the direction I went. So um, there would have been a lot of people out there that couldn't take the next step and. And like I said, definitely deserves the right for the next step, um, whether that be financial or um, a big part in motorsport nowadays attitude as well. So whether those two things didn't cross at the right point. Um, but, yeah, it's, a, it's it's a shame to see a lot of wasted talent. But I suppose that's the way
0: the world works, whether it be motorsport, football, cricket, whatever it needs to be. It is interesting, isn't it, sometimes you know, you speak to a young driver and they go, probably the best thing that you can do right now is get really good at tennis or golf and go and be professional at those sports because all you need is a tennis racket and some sand shoes and someone else's court, like a membership, or golf. I mean, the memberships can be a bit expensive there, but you, you know, need a bag of sticks and, and some balls. All the golfers and tennis players are going to hate me for that comment. But uh, certainly um, with with racing, whether it be a cart a bike a rally car a race car and a racetrack whatever it is you need so much more infrastructure around you um to just go and practice yeah and and it's only been probably in the last 15 20 years where it's been really uh, recognized that coaching is as a good thing in motorsport as well
2: yeah look i um obviously back in my day we didn't have coaches or or, or coaches we could go and find so the closest I got was uh, my dad used to pick me up in an old Datsun 180B wagon with my go-kart shoved in the back with no wheels on it. It's the only way we could transport it around. And he used to take me down to, to Oakley go-kart track and it'd be raining and dad would wheel the go-kart out and it had slick tires on it. And I said, okay, so when are we putting the wets on? And he goes, mm, no, we're not. And i oh, well, what's going to happen here? And he goes, I'll work it. Here's the deal. I'll give you three pushes and that's all you're going to get. I'm like, oh, well, what happens when I spin out after three? And he's like, well, you've got to work it out. So you've got three, use them wisely. So I used those three up, Darren, within the first lap, to be honest. And um, I learned, learned how to push a go-kart by myself and jump into it. And um, it's probably not very safe anymore to do that. But it, um, it taught me a lot of kart craft because I had to learn how to do laps. Um, and I went around and around and around and and slowly got faster. Um but yeah, I was on slip ties in the rain and that's how I learned my race craft in the rain. And and I know you've commentated a lot of my races recently in the
0: rain. And um, yeah, he's he's the one to point to when that comes out. <laughs> it is interesting because um, your dad's one of the one of the few dads around the around the racetracks because sometimes uh, motor racing dads can be a little bit like soccer mums. They get up and about about things and your dad's one of the guys to go to for a smile because if he's at the racetrack, if he's in the confines of a racetrack, he's happy. It's it's his happy place. And even if there is only two pounds of boost coming out of the turbo and your sports sedan, he's he's still happy. He's still happy to be there, isn't he?
2: yeah yeah it's um I love having my dad at um at all the tracks that I race at in Australia, and um it's always cool to see him walking around and smiling and chatting to the likes of yourself and everyone else that's um at a race meeting. and uh, as I said it's it's a credit to to him and my mum for for everything I do and have got now um because yeah, definitely without their sacrifices in life, I definitely wouldn't be doing all the cool things
0: I get to do now. So let's um, let's move on from karting. You, you, you've, said, you've mentioned Greg Woodrow, who I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still the Miguel distributor here in Australia and still sells a lot of Formula Fords around the, around the place. But you, you moved into Formula Ford and that saw you do, you know, a bit of a, sh- let's say, a short career in Formula Ford. Still up against the same people, the Scott Pies and the Nick Perkats yeah. as well yeah, yeah, Scott
2: Pye, Nick Perkat. um back then, there was um just coming in and definitely younger than me uh, was John Martin was in there floating oh, about. Yeah. Um, Chas Mostert came and went a few couple like a few times and and then obviously, we, we tried our hand at that and obviously short fell with the budget a little bit. And um, I think I'm probably one of the only drivers in Victoria that's nearly raced in every state level category that there is at some point in time, because if someone dangled a steering wheel in front of me, I jumped into it quick smart. So I drove um, a HQ Holden at Phillip Island. I drove BMW E30s. Um, I've been in improved production and um, I've been at the, at the top of state level racing with four, five, eight GT3 cars in sports cars, um, radical cup, um, at state level when they were running in, I think it was Super Sports back then. Um, and then obviously still and um still racing our our family sports sedan, which which I'll um I'll never move on. I love driving that and um and that's probably what keeps my adrenaline and, and keeps my um fire in my belly to keep running is probably the bit of
0: it. You also um you you mentioned every state series that you've uh, been in except for a, a, the Formula V as well, which you had a, a bit of a stint in too. Tell us about the move into that.
2: Yeah, so um so a few years ago, I think it was around two thousand and sixteen. Um, I had some dealings with the um, Australian Motorsport Academy um, down there in Bayswater, and and they were were trying to do a lot of things to help people come into motorsport from a mechanical background so a bit of a motorsport diploma if you have it and and trying to help people know how to work on a race car know how to set a race car up um how the teams work and essentially a stepping stone to help people move on to the likes of V8 supercars and formula 1 and um and those likes so I had a um, did a couple of rounds in a, a Formula V to help those guys out in a few test days just to give the um, all the all the mechanics and all the students a little bit of insight on what happens on a race weekend. So um, yeah, did uh, did some time at Phillip Island in a Formula V. So
0: um, yeah, that's probably that probably ticks off every category now, don't? <laughs> Certainly does. You got involved with um, with Brett and the guys down there with that that program. What did you? I mean, you you get around. You do driver training for Ferrari. You do, you know, you're, you're constantly at the wheel doing something as a, a profession professional driver, let's say. Um, what did you think with those programs? Were were they working? Have they given given people a, a good insight? Have they pr- proven their worth and got people through to the next level?
2: Um, I would like to say yes. I think they they definitely gave the people the basics. I know a couple of people that worked on that Formula V with me um, ended up, I think a few ended up at V8 Supercars with Team 18. I think there's a couple at Erebus now. So I I think it definitely worked. Um, I was a bit sad to see that the program ended um, due to to certain issues, which I'll stay away from. It's not my point to comment, but um, yeah, it's definitely a, a soft point for me, knowing that those guys were definitely in the right direction to be to work at Formula One about supercars, and they definitely had the connections from the people on the staff list at that um, group, as well as the ones that I was willing to to hand pass across the different teams. So, yeah, it's, I think if it if it stuck around for a little bit longer, I reckon it would have been more beneficial to a lot of people.
0: Yeah, it's a. I agree. It's a sad closing of the door of that was um certainly i found it to be interesting and something different that you know a couple of people were trying to trying to do let's move uh let's move now just because i love the car let's move now to your honda prelude um sports sedan and the doing something outside the square, which sort of seems to be your modus operandi these days, doing something outside the square, developing a professional driving career by being just outside the square a bit, and it, it's working pretty well for you. The, 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 the originally two-litre um, sports sedan and now um, turbocharged with £4 billion of boost um, hanging off the back of it. Tell us about the, 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 uh, the evolution of that car.
2: Yeah, look, it's um <laughs> the evolution is probably a good way to put it. To be honest, um, so back in um, I would say 1998, uh, my dad had a lot to do with um, the U-horn family, which had a two liter RX7 back in the day. Um, helped Bob Uhorn and Lee U-Horn, um get that car to its final stages and 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 compete. So we are uh, we always had this plan that my dad wanted to build a car and and my dad worked for the likes of Rusty French and, and Les Small and and everyone back in those touring car days. And um, we were helping the U-Horns one day and my dad turned to me and said, you know what, I reckon I'm going to build one of these. And I said, well, do you, Dad, do you know what you're doing? Maybe you should leave this to the professionals. Um, and he goes, yep, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a Honda Prelude and we're going to turn it into a race car. And obviously I was pretty young at the time and I thought, really? prelude dad is that really the right option for us um surely we can do better than that um so so he's like yep and off he went as my dad does and um he come back with um two peaches pieces of rhs steel and he laid them in the in the garage in our know, house in noble park and he goes well there's your race car and i said well i don't mind to be a smart ass here but there's not much of a race car there i'll come back when you need a sleep fitting dad yeah let me know when you need me to work out the pedals and um so he's like yeah we're gonna go and get the um the body show on the weekend so i could see what he was doing he was um he was sort of convincing my mum this was a good option and um he goes, yep, we're going to get the body shell. So we went down to Centre Road Wreckers in Clayton and picked up this Honda Prelude body shell and we brought it home and he, he put it in our driveway and he's come out with the nine-inch grinder and he started at the tail light and he's run all the way down the sill, all the way to the front tower and just chopped the whole car in half. And I'm like, oh, maybe he doesn't know what he's doing here. And um, he's put the roof skin and the door, like the A and the B pillar on a rubbish bin. And he's like, well, that's all we need. The rest is scrap. And I went, oh, I don't know about this. And it, it was a it was an every Saturday for the next 11 years, my dad worked in the shed on that car. And he kept chipping away and chipping away. And it turned up in 2011 at Calder Park for a test day as a normally aspirated, Honda-powered, Honda Prelude full space frame car. And definitely nothing like it looks now. Um, And it ran around and around, and and we ran the two-litre championship in 2011 and ended up winning the championship in our first year. Um, Went to Phillip Island and and battled with some of the best two-litre people in the country, and um, this may have got our friends the U-Horns a little bit peeved at the same time, um, but it created an amazing rival that we still have to today. And the car constantly um, grew and got updated, and it got – given a sequential gearbox and a limited slip diff and let's put some bigger tires on it. And now that we can afford it, let's put some decent brakes on it. Not the ones that we got off an RX seven that was rolled rolled over in a paddock. And we slowly made the sports sedan a little bit better. And as you do put a bigger wing on it. And, and and we run it as a two liter car for a long time, about till 2015 and had good success with the car. And, um, we were sitting around and my dad said, well, these two-liter engines aren't lasting too long. We're revving them to nine and a half thousand, and and everything's trying to come out from inside them. And <laughs> and my brother goes, "Let's put a turbo on it. That'll fix it." Right, I don't know how yeah. timesing the power by five is going to mm-hmm. fix this problem. Like, lo and behold, it actually did, Darren. So <laughs> um, so we um we started the turbo process and and put a big turbo on the side of it. And back then we were new to turboing stuff. We didn't really know. Um, we put a turbo and a little bit of boost onto a, a normally aspirated engine that still had high compression, so that was always going to last a long time. Um, and we, the first Just time, put we two ran head a gaskets turbo, on it. That's what everyone else does. Yeah, well, we nearly needed to push <laughs> them out that quick. <laughs> um, so the the first time it ran as a turboed car was actually Sandown historics in two thousand and sixteen and surprising to us we didn't have that much boost in it at the time and we um we sitting third and we're, we're chasing um a few of the big guys and I think uh Michael Robertson who's well known in Victoria was the car in front of me and I'm thinking how good's this we'll put a turbo on this thing and now we're pushing the guy that one is the president of the club and the outright champion I'm like well this is all going well and as we do with turbo cars, we got a little bit greedy and put a couple more pounds of boost in it. And that ended that day. So, um, we didn't finish (laughs) on the, on the podium that day. Um, but it's, it's been a long evolution and, um, we've constantly been working on it and and now it's got more technology than the space shuttle. And it's now fully supported by Garrett turbos in the U S and, um, it's got all the internals in the engine supported by people in the U S and, and now, um, Every time I run it, it costs more than um, anything else I've ever driven. Um, but it's the family atmosphere. We turn up, my dad rolls out with a big smile on his face, like you said. My wife and son come along. My wife's cooking everyone food. And, and that's why we still do it is because it's, it's family. And no matter what the result is, as long as we're all smiling at the end and before you comment, Darren, I'm always smiling sometimes.
0: Um, <laughs> it, it's a great car. I normally mean to smile all the time. <laughs> um, I do my, my best. Just, just, just take it back. You, you mentioned, you know, some, some, a couple of people, particularly, particularly um, Brett Ullhorn, who won the Victorian Championship in an under two-liter car, that that magnificent RX-7, and um, various other people along the way that have helped you not only with the family sports sedan you've done some time attack in the middle there there's certainly an association with with honda the, you know i meant touched on the work you do with ferrari etc just tell us about some of those relationships that you've developed along the way as well
2: yeah look at um
0: from the early days
2: the UHorn family actually sponsored me in go-karting so um, they were always a family that was was always going to follow me where I went and and they're always a key part in in my racing so I owe a lot to the UHorn family not just for back then but also currently um, even Lee Lee is a, a fierce comp- competitor still takes the time to talk to me about driving styles and he used to take me down to the go-kart track all the time as a kid so uh, definitely um, definitely helps and. And people, um, people to this day, like I've got a, a lot of support from a lot of people that I've driven time attack for from Elusive Racing, and and um, the world famous um, Anne and Graham Gilliland obviously helped me out a lot from from where I was to where I am today. And and those guys definitely um, make sure they know where I've come from, and also make sure they support everything I do. So, look to to name to name a couple of people that have helped me through my career. Um, I probably probably stretch this um, podcast well over its um, time limit with the amount of people that have helped me, whether it be for five minutes, two hours, 10 years. Um, every Everyone's definitely had had some say or had some help in my career. And um, I don't think I could ever write a list on everyone. Um, as As you probably see, and a lot of people see when I do media posts, I think I run out of room on my media posts on everyone. And obviously, yes, Definitely forget a lot of people along the way, but um, I'm just grateful for what I'm doing and everyone that comes
1: along for the ride with me. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. The um, <laughs> It sounds a little bit like a commentator. I know it tends to waffle on a bit, bit too far. Um, the, the move there to go from circuit racing into the, the one lap sprint, super sprints or time attack as we, we know it for the top end of that, that progression how did that all start and how did you sort of move along into that era and then obviously moving on to 2021 later with the uh, going to Pikes Peak um yeah the the whole um time attack
2: thing was a bit of a shock to me to be honest so um a friend of mine had a car that he was racing down at Phillip Island and and knew that I did a fair bit of driving and he said oh you should come down to this event it's called Victorian time attack I'm not sure if you heard of it and I, well, not really. But anytime I can drive a car's a good day. So, so down I went to Phillip Island, and I was driving this car around, and it was having problems. And there was a, a team pitted next to us, and I knew the guy um, David Flood that was working on the car, and he said, "Look, we're coming, we're coming second here. Um, any chance we can steal you and, and shove you in this front-wheel drive Honda Integra and, and see what you can do?" And me being me, and I got. I um, ended up winning the event, which is which is now the Elusive Racing Team. So it, it started as a small one-off drive and um, the owner of the the car and the team, um, Kenny Nguyen, sort of chucked a, a random thing at me, let's build a um, club sprint world time attack car and let's put a turbo on it and, and let's do this and let's do that. And I said, oh, well, yeah, but I sort of like racing next to people. Like I like the wheel-to-wheel stuff and I don't know if I'm willing to go out there and do one lap and spend three days doing it um so to long and short of it is um he he built this new car and i I jumped into it and um in 2018 we went to world time attack and we didn't know what was going to happen because we've just spent all our money building this big turbo car and we're running in club sprint class on a, a radial tire and we ended up winning club sprint in 2018 at world time attack on our first attempt. Um, And surprising enough, the only lap that I got clear and the only completed lap I was able to do was the lap that I won with. So um, it it was, it was pretty much from then on, it sort of set the, set the sights and set the direction in what I'm doing now. So as you touched on, um, I was lucky that I was, driving and, and come back to the pits in 2018 and a, an American fella come up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, congratulations. Um, and he, he didn't really sound right to me because he was a Vietnamese, um, American speaking person. I thought I looked at him and went, mm, those two don't sound right or look right. And, and we had a chat and um, pretty much from then on, it's been time attack and
0: um, America's been my life for the last seven years. So once you got that opening, I, I'm, I'm presuming that was at Eastern Creek World Time Attack that you you, you made Correct. that contact. And that in itself in Australian motorsport, if it's bringing um, Americans to Australia to talk to drivers and to see what's going on down under, as they say, um, the conversation had to be more than just a, a, a tap on the shoulder in pit lane to, to get you to get you to pack up and, and every two or three times a year and head over to the U S and race. Um, what was, what, you know, what transpired from there? Well, so, so the initial conversation
2: um, with his name's kit that um, runs project import. And he, he come up to me and said, well, congratulations. And if you're ever in America swing past. here's my business card. I run a workshop called project import in orange County in California. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, cool. And, and as you do, put the card in your pocket, and that was probably about it. And, um, later that month, we had a call from our sponsors at Supertech in the US, and they said that oh, we'd love you to to come out to PRI in Indianapolis and, and show your trophies and pretty much be on our stand at um, um, that huge motorsport event. So we um didn't know what we were going to do. We jumped on a on a plane and off we went and. As we're at the airport at Telemarine, we flicked um this kit guy uh, an email saying, Hey, look, we're coming, and you said it for everyone your doorstep to come and say hello. So we uh we rocked up and we got a got an Uber from um LAX Airport to this workshop and didn't know what to expect and and how welcoming this guy was gonna be. But we we turned up and and we hit it off immediately. It's it was one of those things where it was like we'd been friends for a long time and I'd spent five words to him. So um, we got there and had a chat and, and went out for lunch and, and did all the things that you normally do as a tourist and um sort of just ended the conversation there. It was just a little bit of a fun catch up and I got um got back to Australia and and got an email saying that um we've got an event coming up um in 2019 at uh, Road Atlanta. And if I was in- interested in coming back, he's got an accord out the back that he wouldn't mind me driving. Um and and to me, I saw that Accord, and I'm like, oh, I don't think that's any anywhere near ready to be driving, but let's give it a crack. And um, so yeah, it sounds like 2000... a lot of your
1: cars started that way.
2: <laughs> I think I'm right. I don't know if it's right, right place, right time, or what it is. To be honest, it might be the other <laughs> way around. Um, so yeah, I, I I went back and and had another chat with him in 2019, and he wheeled this uh wheeled this Accord out and. And goes, oh well, here you go. You think you know what you're doing, and you've won some races over there. So how about you take this to to Road Atlanta and and give it a run? So we went we went over to Road Atlanta and didn't have the best weekend. I'll be honest about that. I, um, as much as the track scared me, the car scared me, and America scared me. I was on the wrong side of the car, and it was just all um all a bit of a bat isn't a fire going there. And and the Road Atlanta event is actually part of the Formula Drift America um, drifting. Championship round, so here's me trying to learn how to drive a car on the other side, and I reckon there was about a, probably a hundred thousand people in the stands watching me driving this Accord around. So it was it was good, and um, obviously I did something right because in um, in 2020, um, Kit announced that he was actually a part owner in Super Lap Battle, which runs out of Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, and he um, rang rang my Australian Time Attack team, um, Elusive Racing, and said, hey, we want your car over here. And I said, there's there's a big logistics thing here. We can't just put it in a trailer and tow it there. <laughs> um, so in, in uh, late 2019, um, we received a shipping docket, and it was for one 20-foot container from Melbourne to LAX. And there it all started. We sent our um, Elusive Racing car from from uh, Clayton all the way to um, LAX and then trucked it from LAX all the way to Texas to compete at Kits. Essentially, his super lap um, event is sort of the Super Bowl of time attack in the US. You go there and do well and you've, you've made yourself a name. So we showed his commitment, um, sent a car there, went to went to of the Americas. Um, typical in my fashion, as, as most of my cars go, bucket load of power broke the gearbox on the first lap so um <laughs> we ended up spending a, a day a day trying to find a gearbox in the middle of texas um which turns out that was a gearbox that had two hundred thousand miles on it and it's never had an oil change and um that turned up and we put it in the car and and ran two days on a standard gearbox which we didn't even check the oil level so um did, did the right thing from um promoting the sport and promoting myself because we never gave up um we did anything that it took to, to keep that car running and and obviously um obviously did something right because uh we we went back to california and this is all when covid was just starting so um we didn't know what was going to happen we heard rumors that we might not be allowed back and we might even be allowed back to australia to be honest so um, we were meant to head back in 2020 to do Road Atlanta with the elusive car um, with a new gearbox, obviously. But we were actually the last flight back to Australia in February 2020 before they closed the borders. So um, my my racing career pretty much paused. Um, internationally, I'd worked so hard to get it to happen um, it just stopped, and and obviously everyone's world stopped when that all happened. And um, I was stressing out that I'd done my dash, and and that was it. And uh, we had a car that's now stuck at LAX, and we couldn't go and get it. And it was just a massive task. And just before um just before we jumped on the plane to come back to Australia, um, Kit that owned the car, we we're at um a certain place that you um water your taste buds one night, and um he said that. Have you ever thought about Pikes Peak? And I said, Yeah, that place scares the shit out of me, to be honest. Um, and he's like, Yeah, yeah, me too. And I'm like, Okay. And he goes, Let's do it. And I went, Ah, oh, yeah, cool. Maybe you've just had too many cans of courage tonight, to be honest. Um, but cool, if that's what you want to do. And I'm like, But you're missing one key thing here. We haven't got a car. And he goes, Don't worry about that. Like, we'll sort that. I'm like, okay, yep, yeah, cool. So. Here we are we returned back to australia and and obviously got got locked out that was it we're in australia couldn't get out um and me being me um pike's peak entries open um expressions of interest open in november um so it was november and um i thought i would poke the bear once more just to see if this guy was actually serious or not and um i said to him hey the expressions of interest are open what what do you reckon and he goes oh, i thought you're already done that like, oh all right no problem so i put expression to interest in um and and just left it because they normally take two months to come back to you and i left it and didn't really speak to kit too much we kept in contact as you do but not really too much and and i sort of knew in the back of my mind that on the 15th of january was exception day and you would find out if you got accepted or not and the 15th of January come, and we didn't. And I'm like, oh, there, there that goes, whatever. Like, let's just keep moving on. And there's more things in the world than racing at Pikes Peak. And um, just kept moving on with life. But literally didn't I know that um, Australia, um, America wasn't actually on the 15th yet. So <laughs> um, at 4 o'clock in the morning, my phone's going absolutely crazy. And um, my now wife goes, oh, you might want to answer that because Kit's called about 10 times. I'm like, oh, all right. So I answer the phone. He goes, um... Best you try to find a flight because we've just been accepted and we don't have a car, and <laughs> testing testing starts in four months. I went, oh well, we're still in lockdown here. I'm like, I can't leave. I don't know what happens now. I can't leave the country. Uh, um, so that was a big task back then. Um, long and short of it, after many meetings at the embassy, um, I jumped on a plane and had to relocate to America for four months because it was the only way feasible for me to do this whole program and for the Australian government to allow me to leave the country, to be honest. So um, I headed over to America and, and Kit, Kit said, look, there's an S2000 parked over there in the corner of the workshop. If you can drag that out and you can get that running, that's our car. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this isn't what I signed up for. This really isn't what I signed up for. So, um, me being me wasn't willing to turn to turn an eye to it i um i got that s2000 out and um we decided to put all the running
0: gear i thought you were going to say there was two bits of ihs on the floor and you're cutting from the tail light (laughs) to the turret and there's your race no no no
2: i didn't didn't have my dad there with me (laughs) Um, so, so um what what we decided to do to to help the process was we we mirrored everything that's ran in the prelude back here in Australia. So down to ECU, um, wiring loom, intercoolers, radiators, turbo, engine, gearbox, everything was mirrored from what we run here. So we knew we had a, a basic platform. All I had to do was wait for it to turn up. So UPS definitely are. Uh, Hurt my feelings a few times then because we actually didn't get an engine or a gearbox until um a month before practice was meant to start, and I I would say that myself and Kit worked twenty hours a day, seven days a week for three and a half months to put this car together, and um we got it together and and went to to Pikes Peak for um practice week and and um me being a hero. Um, crashed in practice and decided to give the boys some more work to do. Um, took took the front off it and made the boys drive it from um Colorado all the back way back to california and and put another nose on it. Um, but it was it was one of those things where I, I still get goosebumps thinking of the whole process, um, goosebumps thinking about turning up at Pike Speak for the first time because
1: it was one of those things when that- when you're that was going to be to my like, question. When you get out of the car and you look at the place, what was your initial reaction?
2: <laughs> well, mine was pretty funny because we arrived in the Colorado Springs where Pikes Peak is based and um, we arrived in at 11 o'clock at night so it was pitch dark and we found this motel and we thought, oh, we'll stay here the night and the next morning. The truck hadn't arrived yet. As a as a race car driver, we flew in. The truck driver was driving it across. So... Um, <laughs> I wake up in the morning and it's all sunny outside and I say to Kit, and I'm like, ah, oh, I reckon we hire a rental car and we go and try to find this mountain. We probably should drive it before we go racing up it. It's probably a great idea. And he goes, yeah, no problems at all. And he goes, oh, let's just, um, let's just have a cup of coffee and, and we'll get on our way. And he opens up the blinds of the motel and I'm looking out the window and I went, hmm, that's not it, is it? And he goes, well, no, nah, that looks pretty big. I'm like, yeah, that can't be it. So out come Google Maps, and that was Pike's Peak. And we went, I don't know if we're ready for this. (laughs) So we hired a (laughs) rental car, and um, the whole time driving to the bottom of Pike's Peak, I'm staring at this mountain like we've had a fight the night before and didn't know what to expect, Um, and got there, and I'll say, I'm still in awe of the place now, and I've now been there twice, and it still scares the bejesus out of me.
0: Well, there's there's no other pits in the world where there's bears up the tree, is there?
2: <laughs> no, no, there's not, and then um, there's no other place in the world that you'll be, you'll be standing at um, the base pit area, and you're in shorts and a t-shirt and, and flip-flops, as they call them, and... And you're um, standing there and it's about 37 degrees and then you're like, all right, cool. And you strap in the race car and you drive to the end of the practice stage and you get out and you put your your beanie and your jacket on because it's snowing. <laughs> um, so there's a, um, there was a lot of things that from an Australian
1: um, had to get
2: used to. Um, and I, uh, look, we...
1: Sorry. I believe that the air was uh, fairly thin at the top as well.
2: Yeah, well... Um, I thought I would be a, a bit of a hero with it as well, and, and like, oh, these guys are all running oxygen tanks. How old are they? Like, <laughs> really? Why, why do you need to do that? <laughs> We're driving up a mountain, and these guys have got cannulas up their nose with oxygen, and I'm like, Americans, what, what is going on here? So um, after the second night of practice, I'm laying in the bed in the motel, looking at the roof with a mega headache and a migraine throwing up and the guy's like huh that oxygen would have been pretty good wouldn't it <laughs> so uh from then on i've used oxygen every day
0: <laughs> uh, so and it's keeping you young too you look, it's it keeping you like... young you, you know your skin's Apparently. clear all the oxygen it's like you're looking after yourself
2: thank you mate that's that's the whole reason i did it <laughs> um great. so look as as my rookie year um we did as well as to be expected. Like I mentioned, we, we had a crash. Um, that definitely knocks the confidence around. I'll be, be honest about that one. And we've we've come a long way from where we were back then. Um, back in 2021, I finished 31st um, overall and um, and 6th in unlimited class. Um, there was a shortened track because it was snow. Um, we only got to run two-thirds of the away because it was six inches of snow so um i never really got that we're always striving for this 10 minute time um everyone sort of told us that if you get in the 10 minute bracket you're doing pretty well if you go sub 10 you're sort of a bit of a hero um so on a shortened track we did a seven minutes uh 750 i think it was so we didn't really know um i thought that was my my one shot at pike's peak um it's done it's dusted Let's sort of leave it there, tick it off the list, come home. Um, everyone thought it was an amazing trip. Saw some bears in some trees and all sorts of stuff and <laughs> and sort of put um, America on the back burner, to be honest. It was um, one of those things that was so hard to be away from family for, for four months back in 2021. And I thought um, my wa- now wife would never let me do that again. Um, so sort of put that on the back burner and um, fast forwarding to To the end of um, of 2022, and I I got a phone call um, saying that we're putting the car back together and we're going to Texas. And I said, oh, that's really cool. Like, who's going to drive that? And he goes, well, you are. I'm like, oh, thanks for consulting me on this one. (laughs) Um, So I, um, as you know, I I spoke to you um, about that same time earlier this year and, um i jumped on a plane and headed over and um in the background we still had our our pikes peak expressions of interest floating around in there because me being me i never wanted to withdraw that i kept putting it in each year just in case and um as i was about to leave to head to america we got accepted for pikes peak as well and i went oh this is now becoming pretty full-on i'm about to leave to go racing texas and we've been accepted for pikes peak and i got to break this to the owner of the car at the same time so Um, we headed over to Texas and, um, lucky enough kit that owns the car was full of excitement, not only for Texas, but for Pike's peak for the future, um, spent a lot more money upgrading the car since I left. And a few people had done some test days in the car and I was essentially turning up to another fresh build at that circuit of the Americas. And. Didn't know what to expect, and and we got through that event relatively okay. We had some obviously tyre shortages. Um, being a, a Yokohama sponsored driver, um, there was a big tyre shortage around the world, so I could only get what they had, and what they had was not our size. So that was that wasn't going to help, and we used another tyre brand, um, which which hurt our hurt our confidence in the car a lot because they just did not work. Um, we had tires that were out around, and we had old tires on the front and new ones on the back. And it just was one of those weekends. So we finished up um, in Texas. I think we finished up twelfth or something like that. and it wasn't a big confidence booster, um, but knowing that the team wasn't going to give up sort of made it um, made it a lot lot easier for me to commit to to heading back to Pike's Peak again. and And obviously, there was a gift shop there, Darren. So you might have noticed that as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do do like that. I do like the t-shirt, Brett, and I do like the your sense of humour where you got the size that's disco tight on me. So I've got to, you know, knock some Kgs off so that I look half good in it. So it's working. (laughs) We're getting there. Just a couple of Kgs. (laughs) Just a couple.
2: Mate, you specified the size. I just come through with
0: the goods. You did. You did come through with the goods. So we ticked that oh. box. Then you, you 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 came you came back home between um, between um, Texas and heading back to California to eventually get over to Colorado. What was the toing and froing from the US to Australia? In that, you know, it was only a short period of time as well. Yeah, look, there was um there was a lot going on. Obviously,
2: as a driver. Here. It takes a lot to to make any driver happy, and um, we were we were throwing things backwards and forwards on on setup changes and and turbo sizes and and, and different upgrades for the car. So I think I spent more time um, speaking by a messenger and and WhatsApp to the owner of the car than speaking to my family that were in the same room. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize how much work goes into a deal like this and and an event like this because. It was, we we were struggling to find parts in America for the car. We ended up finding them locally from EFI hardware and, and I was sending parts from, from Ringwood all the way to California in three days where they couldn't get something from Las Vegas to California in a week. So um, logistically, it was a big, big toll on myself and the team at that time. Um, Just making sure that the program was, was running properly. Um, Obviously, I took the sports sedan out a few times as well while I was here just to make sure I was sharp enough for, for when we did get back there. And, um, obviously ha- having that car at my disposal makes it a hell of a lot easier to, to go to the other side of the world and jump into a car because obviously Kit's a man of business and a car owner and wants to make sure that, um, when I do get into the car, it's, it's 110% from the moment I turn the wheel. So, um, that was a big part, making sure that I was ready for the next trip. Um, but yeah, massive amount of calls, texts, pictures. Um, I never knew you could nearly design a car by drawing on your phone on a picture that he sent and then you sent it back to him. And then, um, yeah, and in a week's time, it, it looked like what you'd drawn on your phone. So, um, yeah, it, it was a big, a big logistical task, just building a car from the other side of the world, that's for sure.
0: Jumping forward, you land in LA. You go down to Project Import, re- reacquaint yourself with the team, the, the owner, the car, etc., and and you head off to head off to Pikes Peak. What 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 transpires next? What's the next thing? Um, well, on our way to Pikes
2: Peak, we um, we actually decided that I would jump in the truck with the boys and and give them a bit of moral support. Um, who who doesn't like to be sitting next to an Aussie for eighteen hours, cracking Australian jokes the whole way? So. Um, these guys are chewing their their beef jerky the whole way and drinking their energy drinks. And here's me sitting in the middle of the backseat, drinking water, talking about the, the countryside. And, and have you ever seen a kangaroo and all this sort of stuff? So I definitely uh, made the trip enjoyable for them. But on our way to Pikes Peak, we got a phone call and it said that practice may be cancelled because they've just had 10 foot of snow. And I'm I'm a very short person, Down. 10 foot's definitely double my height. And I couldn't I you work six out the logistics. I couldn't work out the logistics of how all this worked. And then the next um the next thing we got was a picture of a snow plow. And the snow plower was actually plowing the racetrack so we could see the racetrack. And I went, hmm, I don't know about this. I have um I can honestly say I've never driven in the snow before. Um even without even, snow chains of- either. Yeah, nothing like that. And I'm about to get into an eight hundred and fifty horsepower. Our um essentially time attack car and race through a snowy mountain, so it was all um all the odds were on my side as you can imagine. So we um we got to Pikes Peak and and the way the way practice works, you never actually get to run the full track until race day. So all practice days have chopped into thirds um just for safety reasons. Um, when you got seventy five entrants, you can't obviously have you all running the full track because um as time attack cars and pikes peak cars go no not every one of them makes it so um they split it into thirds and there was 23 cars per section in practice and um we got there and the day one of practice um for us was actually the top section so full baptism of fire, fire straight into the section where i crashed in 2021 so i was feeling pretty confident about that and um It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. You're driving down a road that's normally a 25-mile-an-hour road, and we're doing about 110-mile-an-hour flying down this road. There's no landmarks because everything's covered in snow. You're driving on a piece of road with white, and I had to have my visor down. It was a cloudy day, but I had to have my visor down from the sun glare or the glare off the snow it was so bright i've never experienced it in my life before um so we ran through and we got to the top car park and there's a guy with this little paper sign saying watch out for ice and I'm like, what do you mean by that we're, we're surrounded by snow the actual um, car park at the summit was all black ice. So oh. you were like a, a dog, a dog online. You've just come from doing a hundred mile an hour and now you're in a car park with black ice and you're sliding into the snowbanks. So um, <laughs> as Americans do, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Um, so, so we got through um, our first day of practice. Um, our second day of practice was the bottom section and, um, each section so far we've been going about 30 seconds faster than 2021. Um, um, it's It was definitely a positive thing for us because we could see the times coming down. Um, and this sort of bring like brought back into our head about the whole 10-minute time. Um, as you do, you're always focused and you're always looking at everyone's sector times and thinking where you're going to end up and I'm already working out where I'm going to end up and this is day one of practice. So I'm... Um, already going for all of this and we went to the bottom section i went 41 seconds faster in the bottom section um on the first day of practice and i I felt felt confident with what we had um so we all we only did two days of practice and and what a lot of people don't see is between practice week and race week it's actually a um essentially a full week of nothing so you practice on the weekend and you go away, and it's not until the following Monday, which is tech inspection, that you all come back to the mountain. Um, our team went back to California to do some work and obviously pay the bills that I'm spending. Um, so they all went back, and I thought I'd stay in Colorado Springs, and I'm going to drive the mountain every morning to make sure that I could get as much, much miles in because during the day, it's a 25-mile-an-hour scenic route. So It's a toll tollway too, isn't it? Part yeah. Yeah, fifteen dollars per person or fifty dollars a Ooh. car, and if you're doing that every day, you're starting to get into you. So, um, so <laughs> I thought, yeah, I've got you get the boys sit job. back in the workshop to work a bit harder. <laughs> yeah, keep sending, keep sending money. Um, so I thought I'll do it every day and get some practice out of this. So, out of the eight days I was there, I got one day because every other
0: day was snowed in. Oh, so of course. <laughs> And they, they so did you have your car. helmet on and your visor in the renter as well? Did you? Oh, I thought
2: about <laughs> it, but it might have been weird. We're driving around in an F 350, it might have looked a bit weird, but
0: um, not I hope it, I was it was the it. I hope it was the the special vehicles F 350, because that would have been a long haul getting that up the hill. But... No, no, it was um, just
2: just the normal size one, so we managed to get that around some of the hairpins um just but
1: when you hark back sorry to interrupt but when you're just harking back to when you did your practice runs were you on radio comms through all those
2: no because you have no radio um radio frequency up there so you've you've got nothing you're on your own um so it's you and your friendly oxygen bottle (laughs) gas yeah which i didn't run on day one again um, so, so um, you have nothing. Essentially, um, the boys are the boys in the team. Pretty much, see the car take off, and then they stand there until it comes back, if it comes back. Um, so the only thing that the team gets told is if you finish or not. So all they'll do is they'll they'll call out, um, "Yep, twenty nine finish," and that'll be the end of that. Um, and the normal flag. Mark- Marshals along that stage will pretty much call the car in as it goes through each section um, so they know roughly where the car is in case it does go missing. Um, So that's all they see. And obviously you you get to the end of your practice stage um, and you wait up there until all 22 cars get there. So here's me sitting in a race suit, which... um, now everyone's making these race suits as thin as popple and as light as possible and as, as cool as possible. And I'm sitting in a snow blizzard on the top at 14,000 feet, freezing my bejesus <laughs> off, waiting for them to let me back down again so I could get back to my crew. So um, I think someone needs to make a Pikes Peak race suit that's a bit warmer. But you don't get to see your crew until you get back down. And, and practice is only from 5.30 in the morning until 8.30 in the morning. So by the time you do your run... Um, they park you up, they turn you around, they bring you back down again. It's about half an hour. So you're really only gonna get, let's say, four to five runs if if you cruise quick, because you've got to top it up with fuel um or gas, as they call it, and chuck your top warmers back on so you're not running on these bloody ice cubes again and and you really only get three runs. So it's an expensive three runs. Um and, and that's all you really get. If you have an issue, you pretty much put it away. And um on, on day day one of practice at the top, we had a few issues. and We only did two runs before we put the car back in the trailer and, and waited until we were allowed to come back down because at 9 o'clock they hand the, um, the highway, as they call it, back over to the public because it turns back into a, a tourist attraction. So here's um, our F350 with our um, triple-axle trailer coming down the mountain with all tourists coming up to see what the summit looks like. So... Um, it's it's definitely a, an eye-opening experience that's for sure if if anyone's ever been there
0: the um the the, the practice sessions you get those those all important three sections done um mm-hmm. and you, you then got tech inspection on the monday and then race day dawns oh, it, you must be 5 30 till nine o'clock you must be getting out of bed at you know halfway through the middle of the night just to get to the the pit area to get the thing off the jack stands and onto the road but we, we move forward to race day what what time does that start for you
2: yeah so the average um
0: the average practice day is a
2: bit unique because the cars don't stay at the mountain it's a it's a it's a forest you can't, can't leave anything in there you take your rubbish away you, you get a pit on a top like you can't leave anything there so so each morning on a practice day we're getting up about two o'clock in the morning um they staggered your entry through the gate um like you're saying the tollway um, so you, some days you would get through the gate at three o'clock, three thirty, four o'clock. Um, but you're up since two. On race day is a bit different. You you go in there um the day before on the Saturday afternoon and you drop your car off and put your tent there and and you take your trailer away because you're essentially in a car park in a in a national park. So on race day was a as a bit of a weird one this year, to be honest. We were meant to be there at one thirty in the morning, is when they ask all drivers to enter. Um, into the national park and um, being an Australian, that's all right, I'm the driver. They're going to let me in a little bit later. Um, so I didn't turn up until two o'clock. Now I sat in a line that was eight miles long of spectators trying to get into this event and I didn't get in the gate until four Oof. and we were meant to get in there at 1.30 and we're going to sleep in the rental car and this was going to be the best plan we've ever had. So we got in there at about, Three thirty, four 4 o'clock after sitting in traffic and the fans were just so eager to get in there they didn't get allowed in till 4 but they already camped out the front from 9 o'clock the night before so we got stuck in this huge line and it was I, I kid you not, it was 8 miles long either direction down this freeway and there was police there guiding the traffic and and it was just as a spectacle for something that turns into a racetrack one day a year um, I don't think you could ever imagine what it was like
1: the um actually um I was following some of the social media on that, and there was some rather strong criticism of the whole organization to get everyone into the venue for the uh, for the event
2: yeah, look there's it, always a lot of people behind keyboards as we all know um <laughs> I think they did an amazing job um. This year it all ran through an insurance company. Um, I think, don't quote me, I think it was USAC provided all the insurance for this year. And, and as crew, we all had to do waivers. Um, every spectator had to do a waiver. And, and let's face it, we're, we're doing 100 plus mile an hour. I know people that are doing 135 mile an hour and you've got people um, in Australian language, one metre off the side of the track. Um, no guardrails, no arm codes. I think there's um, from what someone told me in the whole the whole run of twenty or oh, nineteen point nine kilometers, there is one point five kilometers of ARMCO. So it's they had to do that for insurance. And yes, it's always gonna make a lot of people upset about sitting in a line, but once everyone was in there, um, it was it was definitely a, an experience and, and even something like uh fanfest on the Friday night. Um we, we got posters made up and we took a thousand posters and I thought no one's ever going to want a poster of is this Australian guy driving an S2000. And I think I ran out of Sharpies by about six o'clock that night and signed a thousand posters. And there was 40,000 people walking through the main street of um, Colorado Springs. So it just shows how
0: big this event really is. So Britt, you get you eventually get in all the other drivers have been in the pit area for two and a half hours, and eventually the Australian rock star bowls into a round of applause and drum rolls and uh trumpeting arrival. You get there we communicated, and you actually didn't get to the start line until about quarter to twelve in the morning. That's a long wait
2: uh, yeah it's um the first um The first thing that we noticed, obviously, they do their their driver's briefing and they said that we may have to postpone the day because um, half the people aren't in here yet and we can't let the first car go until the people are at their camping spots. And um, Americans are definitely um, high on their their list is making sure that they have their anthem before every race start, no matter what the event is. And um, the actual lady from the Air Force that was meant to be singing the anthem was actually stuck in the traffic. So we're at driver's briefing and I've um, they were sort of going to and fro about who was going to do the anthem. And um, this microphone just reached over the driver's briefing and they said, well, you all are. So 75 drivers started singing the anthem and that was how they opened the event. <laughs> and um, it was an amazing spectacle. But like you said, it's um, it was 7.30 and the first car took off and I knew that I was the 40th car to run. And I roughly knew that each car was going to take about 10 minutes each, if not a bit faster. And I knew that I'll be sitting there for a long time. Um, And like you said, I, I pretty much, I walked around the pits once. I walked around it twice. I um, tried out every portable toilet that was at Pikes Peak, Um, walked up and down, um, had some water, didn't have some water, like all sorts of stuff that you do as a driver and that sort of nerves. And, And, and then, yeah, it was, um, it was our time to line up. Um, they come over about five minutes before you run um, and tell you, "Come on, it's your turn, your number's up." Um, and our car wouldn't start, so we've had all this time and um, it wouldn't start. And then when it did start, it was on three cylinders. And I'm standing there going, "Well, this is this is obviously a great sign." Um, but lucky enough, the boys um, the boys jumped onto it, pulling apart coil packed and wiring, all sorts of stuff, and, and got it fired up just in time for me to, to roll over and, and take starters orders. Um they're pretty they're pretty um tight with how they how they make your start and make sure that you're not gonna um run out of time. Um so we we moved we moved pretty quickly to to move into our starters box and 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 off we went for essentially what was going to be a ride of life because everything that could possibly happen that car did on my way up that mountain what happened so um the first first thing that happened is we we took off the line and it's it's not running great um it, it was backfiring and misfiring and um it was running too cold and then it was running too hot and and I I just didn't know what was going on I was I was freaking out thinking the worst we're never going to make it and just to throw another curveball in halfway through the first sector the brake pedal went to went soft (laughs) I'm like well what's the next thing I'm going to have to deal with like there's going to be something so we're flying through and we go through what they call the brake check area which is a little hut and Anyone that's seen the video will see how you you go flying through it and all of a sudden the brake pedal went rock hard. So we've gone from having a long pedal to a rock hard pedal. We've got a car now that's too cold and backfiring and we're now going up a mountain. We're going to what they call the W section. Um, so I was definitely in for a ride of my life. Um, but me being me, sort of knew in my head that if I keep going at this pace, I reckon I'm still going to do all right. So I um, ended up nearly dislocating my back on the way up there because I wasn't willing to slow down and I was pushing this brake pedal as hard as I possibly could because it was like pushing concrete. Um, Drove it all the way up to the summit. It It had the biggest boost lag that I've ever experienced in my life. I was pretty much got my foot flat to the floor and I was able to wave to the crowd on the way through. And we... We got, we got to the top, and a guy comes up to me and he goes, oh, do you want to know what time you did? And I said, 100% of what time I did. And he goes, oh, well, you did a 10-minute. And I said, well, I find that pretty hard to believe, to be honest. I'm like, it's, this was the worst time I've ever driven this car. And he goes, well, you've just done a 10-50. And when when someone sees my um my interview after... After the run, I think I looked more shocked than anyone else because I thought, "Here we go. We're on for a 14-minute time here." And from that from that moment um, that they told me the time, I knew that we had achieved something great um, for what we had for the issues that we had. I know, I know we could go faster. And the worst part about that is that it's now proved to me that I need to go back
1: again. <laughs> you just got to convince your better half now.
2: Well, I've been told I'm allowed to, and um, I'm happy to confirm that um, you, um, the podcast will be the first to know that I have re-signed again for next year. Oh, well done. Um, uh, terrific. That's great news. Yes. So, um, I only announced this um, today. So, yeah, we're we're heading back there, and the owner of the car wants that sub-10 time, um, and I know we've got it in us. So. Or we'll head to head to Texas in February and get some testing done and, and back to Pikes Peak in June. That's terrific,
0: Brett. Just take us back. We're sort of running rapidly out of time here, but you you've just described a hell run-up, one of the biggest hills in the world in snow and all of that sort of thing. What did you do to adjust your style, apart from dislocating your your pelvis and your back? What did you do to combat the issues you were having with the car? Was it, was it a mental game?
2: Yeah, look, I'll I'll, um, I'll be lying if I said it didn't become a mental game. It, we're halfway up the mountain and um, everything starts running through my head. Are we going to make it? Am I going to make it? Is the car going to make it? So it becomes a bit of a survival mode, if you have it. Um, I needed to make sure I was doing the right thing for myself, keeping myself safe and obviously getting the car to the end. So, yeah, everything runs through your head. And um, I pretty much had the going to damage limitation and, and just sort of make sure we got there. Didn't do anything silly,
0: um, and and yeah, tried to string the last five minutes of the run back together. So the the body was it was it a temporary thing? You got to the top of the mountain, where you were you buckled over in pain, or was it you got there and it was just and then the adrenaline just continued to take over, as well as the the uh, the skilled use of oxygen to keep the body running. <laughs>
2: Yeah, look, Um, there was a little bit of pain initially when I tried to get out of the car, but lucky enough, there were some drivers there that sort of could see that I was struggling a little bit. So I got out of the car, adrenaline obviously kicked in and, and and worked through that side of thing. Um, I'll be lying if I said I didn't get up the next morning and it was a bit of a struggle to stand up and um, letting everyone know around me with the car owner and, and a few of the crew that I was in a little bit of pain. Uh, we monitored it for the next couple of days and um yeah surprising enough it, it went away by itself but it was definitely a, a little bit of a concern from my half that um yeah
0: the bottom of my back and and my hips are a little bit sore after that you've already given uh, the Napa grassroots racing podcast the big exclusive of the week and that is that you're signed and you're ready to go back for 2024 so we, we thank you for that what um what did you take out of your your 10 minute run up the hill that's going to get you up the hill and in under that 10 minutes for next year
2: Oh look, personally, I think there's um, there's a fair bit of time left in me as a driver. Um, a lot of drivers don't really like putting their hand up for that, but I know there's a fair bit of time left in me. Um, there's some areas that where we need to fine tune the car. I think we're a little went a little bit too soft on the setup. She was. Um, just getting the hops up a few times and come off the ground a few times, um, in the upper section. So if we can fine tune that, um, uh, fix some of this boost lag that I, I mentioned, um, I reckon we're probably, we're on for a sub 10 minute time. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back over there and I've already had phone calls with, um, the car owner of things that they're already changing for next year, so um, all's positive. I think my fitness needs a little bit of a tw- tune-up as well in the next twelve months. Um, a few areas, and and they're already trying to make the car more comfortable to make it easier for me to drive as well.
0: Brett, it's uh, it's been a lot longer than what we sort of thought it would be. This chat and it's been absolutely fantastic to to dig deep into and tell your story to people around Australia because as you know you're the only Aussie. Actually, at the wheel up there, there were some fans that you I know you met along the way up there were spectating and things like that up there. But, um, fantastic, um, really unsung hero of Australian motorsport getting up that hill driving for an American team, but certainly waving, uh, waving the Australian flag and doing us proud at, at Pikes Peak And, of course, telling your story right back to karting and your family sports today. Really, really appreciate your time um, today and, and telling your story. Um, is there anything else out there that we, we've left unsaid that you'd you'd like to get across?
2: I'll, I'll look at the major thing, and and I always say it to every time I talk speak with someone is that how much I'm grateful for the opportunity that I had. Obviously, Kit and Young that own the car at Project Import put a lot of trust in me. This has been four years now that I've driven for them, and and there's not once that they've doubted me. And and my sponsors in in America and here in Australia with Gene G Engineering and Yokohama and Garrett and super tech and acl bearings and um the list goes on so everyone for for making making this program happen and making me feel welcome into their sponsorship programs is um is amazing and i can't wait to to keep uh ticking things off my list as well as um everyone else's list to to show people that um young people and, and grassroots races can actually go and achieve these things if they put their mind to it
0: Fantastic. Brett Dickey, thank you very much for joining us on the Napa grassroots racing podcast and all the very best for 2024. And I can't wait to see the sports sedan at uh, the final round of uh, the Victorian state series down at Phillip Island in September. Be fun. Yeah, thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on again. And um, yeah, everyone uh, just needs to set their mind to their goals and everything's achievable. Excellent. Thank you, Brett Dickey. Hey guys, terrific to have Brett Dickey on after uh, what sounds like a challenging couple of years, but certainly a career with some great longevity with um, with karting, Formula Ford, sports sedans, and uh, of course the last few years, this um, odyssey, motorsporting odyssey. You'd have to call it over to to Colorado, to Pikes Peak. Yeah, I don't know if i would
1: really that keen. It sounds like you're going in the middle of summer, but you're freezing. <laughs> I yeah, don't know how that works. Mate, you've got to pack. Well, it's
0: like coming to Melbourne, mate. You've
1: got to pack for all seasons in one day. Well, you live there, so you, your well, household must right. be full of stuff.
0: It is. It is. As we often cover off. Thanks, Gats. Um, yeah, so terrific to have Brett on and um, be really keen to to catch up with the, the video that he's he's got there of the car, and I'm sure that'll all become available. Uh, uh, I know you're sort of talking with Speed Cafe to get that um, embedded on there as well. So we'll... We'll get that video at some point, and we'll uh, we'll let everyone know where they can where they can see that. Still, plenty going on um, in the world of motorsport, and it's all sort of north of the border from here. Of course, uh, supercars at Townsville, and the the uh, the the support events on there, guys.
1: There certainly were. We had uh, Carrera Cup, of course, or the Painter Dixon Porsche Carrera Cup Championship it was round three of their series, and uh, certainly threw up a. A different scenario to what we see in the Hidden Valley where Dale Wood won all three races and took a lap record. Uh, Good way to celebrate his uh, milestone event. But when we get to um, Townsville, it's a whole different story. Callum Hedge won the first race and then got pinged for doing a burnout or losing traction, as they called it, after Turn 13 before the start on the formation lap. Therefore, relegated back to sixth position and the win went to Max Vido, who then... uh, Put in some pretty strong efforts in the remaining races. Aussie Racing Cars had Katie Prasinski back. Um, He um, won the first race, uh, didn't do so well in the second, had an engine problem, dropped him back down to about 16th. He came back strong in the last two races, but the round went to uh, Reese Chapman in the Cool Drive Mustang. Ahead of Josh Anderson, who's in a cool drive Mustang, but they're not teammates, and that's all he specified on the broadcast. If you listen to it, that uh, they certainly have nothing in common with each other as far as uh, sponsorship go, uh, as far as team go, but they do carry the same colors. And uh, Joel Heinrich didn't have such a good meeting. He led the series coming in, finished about uh, third, I think. Overall, so he's got a bit of work to do. To secure that, and that incidentally was the last race in Australia for Aussie racing cars this year. They go off to New Zealand for their final round, and it's not till November, so you've probably forgotten how to drive by the time they get there.
0: It's a big bit of travelling in Aussie racing cars. It's good to see a, a good-sized field back for Aussie racing cars. The last few times I've seen them you know, actually in the flesh, their numbers were, were down quite dramatically. Um, so it's good to see, good to see them gather some numbers back up again. Particularly uh, super, on the big hall at, uh, up to up to Townsville as well, and I, I, I guess the, the supercar calendar will always get you get your entries in nice and early and plenty of them.
1: Yeah, um two, super three for round three. Whereas in Queensland, got a good field again, about twenty five cars there. Aaron Seaton put it on pole for race one. Kay Allen put it on pole for race two, but Kay Allen uh, certainly won. Well, Kay Allen won the first race. And Zach Best came through to win the second race, but probably the standout performance of the meeting was Cameron McLeod in the Super 3 Nissan Altima. Uh, he had, uh, well, besides winning Super 3 in both races, he actually qualified fourth on the grid overall for the second race and finished about sixth or seventh. A pretty strong effort from him in the Brad Neal and
0: Ultima. Uh, He's had a couple of good weekends, didn't he, after uh, setting very quick laps in the mark car at uh, the Shannon's Trophy Series at Sydney Motorsport Park. Continues on uh, his journey, certainly uh, continuing on that name in Australian motorsport, aren't they?
1: Yeah, certainly are. And the other category up there was the Toyota Gazoo Racing Australia 86 Series started. We've seen scholarship races uh, so far this year. It's been three rounds of those. But this was the main game, and it was a young Tasmanian, Campbell Logan, who ended up taking the round. So, um, yeah, we did see that one coming, but um, certainly put in a strong effort.
0: Good way to start a series, particularly in the Toyota Gazoo Racing uh, 86 series. It's getting uh, popularity and, uh, and attention right across the board. They've done a, a terrific job setting that up this year hmm so we queensland raceway there's still plenty happening about uh, north of the border gas wasn't
1: there uh yeah well it's at morgan park actually so you have to go a oh, bit sorry, west morgan of park. queensland raceway um yeah and we had we had a round of the uh, uh super series as i like to call it and uh josh haynes ended up uh taking the round um was a little bit unfortunate for jackson rice jackson rice won the first three races but uh Had a bit of a contretemps with Brad Gartner going into turn one on the first lap of race four and uh, had to pit to uh, replace a tyre and lost a lap. Actually, Gartner also pitted to replace a tyre and he was pinged 30 seconds for that effort. So dylan thomas ended up running second so he keeps hold of his series lead as they came down to the last two rounds the next round of course is down in sydney at sydney motorsport park and then they go to calder for the final later in the year Uh, other categories uh justin lewis had a had a uh, four race win in the rx8 cup series um which came as a bit of a surprise because he hadn't been the top three in the previous round. So he's the brother of Terry Lewis, the 1990 Australian production car champion. And Terry's also running in the series cameo appearance too from Jake Camilleri. We know fairly well from Australian production cars in that Mazda three MPS. So obviously keeping loyal to the brand and had a run and he finished up in the top five. Most of the meeting, uh, reasonably good effort uh, in uh Luke Weber ended up with her second in the last race after Tom Shaw had been second in the others. Other races up there, we had uh, the Australian Trans Am series. These are for the older American yeah. muscle cars. And one of our favorites and, and a former guest, John English came out of retirement and won all four races. So good to see him. He beat his son, Sean in three of them and John Prefotane in the other, and they are in a Mustang. Ian Palmer didn't fancy so well. He, um, they, uh, the bigger engine cars really suffered, apart from John, of course, who uh in the 6-litre car, but it seemed to be more of a 5-litre track than a 6-litre track. And uh, they had their local series as well, the uh, Replica tours where we had uh, uh, Clements in the BMW in the improved production car, uh, racing against Ian Woodward in the Chev Camaro, and uh, they, they split the wins between them. So that was a pretty good meeting up there. Queensland touring cars were on the mark on the program as well and went for a series of races. So it's good that the uh, Super Series has the support of those categories when they go into state.
0: Certainly is good to see uh, that going on as well. Uh, whilst um, there's a lot going along on north of the, uh, the country on the weekend, Phillip Island uh, turned on. Some chilly weather. It was a, one of the Pyark Super Sprint weekends, but they turned on some racing for Formula Bs and also for the XLs. A um, couple of uh, Napa Motorsport Academy races amongst both those fields. So uh, check that out at napaparts.com.au forward slash Academy. Formula V um, saw Reith McCarthy uh, just take an absolute queen, clean sweep in his saber, but he. Uh, The second spot on the podium was uh, covered off by uh, Lee Partridge, who had a win at the last round, a very popular win, in fact, actually in uh, the last round in the state series in Victoria. Nick Jones had a second, and Brandon Taylor came home in the second place in the third race. The XL saw Toby Waghorn take two wins from Jalen Robotham in race one, and Cadell Ambrose in the newly relivered uh, XL. And uh, he's been working hard across the school holidays to get the... uh, Get the car looking great. It looks fantastic out on track. And Aston Caddick took out the uh, third race for, on Sunday with Brad James into position number two.
1: Yeah, well, speaking of V's and XLs, they were probably the best uh, best racing they had was over at South Australia at Malala for round three of the South Australian Motor Racing Championships. In the V's, Dan Westgate won all five races over Hayden Slattery. Excels, uh, Joel Johnson won races 1, 2, 4, and 5. Riley Masterton won a race 3. And in the Masters, Mish Nowicki won races 1, 2, and 4. And Brian Smith won races 3 and 5. Improved production, Andrew Sarandis in his Evo eight, uh won all five races, and that included the Michael Rook Memorial event. Other races included sports sedans and sports cars racing together Ian Wilson the TBR Tuscan, one all five over Matt Longhurst and the Honda Integra. I've got a feeling that that's the uh, car that he races at Time Attack, so he and Brett Dickey will be able to catch up when they come to Sydney in early September. Um, yeah. Longhurst was fourth. Uh, was second in four of them, and uh, Julian Mazoon in the Ferrari was second in the other. And, of course, we had our old favourite saloon cars, racing with the HQs, all racing together. Sam Milton, you might remember, he used to run a Falcon several years ago, did a bit of Aussie racing cars as well. He won four of the five races. David Lyons won the last HQs, well, they split themselves around a bit. Lee Smith won won the first race, Nathan Roberts won the second, Darren Jenkins the third, Smith the fourth, and Jenkins the fifth. So that was a pretty entertaining meeting down there. And of course, uh, here in Sydney at Sydney Motorsport Park, we had a day night meeting on Saturday. Big uh, fuels, improved, sorry, production cars probably was the highlight because they had a one-hour enduro towards it, well, right at the end of the night. It finished the meet, and actually it finished a little bit earlier than anticipated because it was red flagged with about five minutes to go when the Bathurst winning a a six-hour BMW uh, lost a wheel just uh, near the end of the race with um, Simon Hodges at the wheel. So that gave the win to Anthony Sewell and Adam Burgess in their uh, BMW, uh, they won the two lead-up races as well, and uh, so that's that it was a, a pretty good race actually. There's a bit going on. Uh, There's a few other cars littered around the track at the time, so that's why they uh, pulled the pulled the race right towards the end there. And other races, we had uh, New South Wales HQ Championship, and Chris Mole won all three races there. Supercars. Uh, uh, was uh, entertaining from the point of view of the one two fives because the gearbox carts they put on uh, great racing, Mark Robin, Adam Cogger and Paul Campbell all going at it pretty hard. Uh, in the Industry Clothing New South Super Sports Championship uh, got a feel for Alex Kenny. He um, had a drama in the first race in his new Nova Prova so he put it away, took his dad's, Older, the car that he raced last year, borrowed it off his dad to do the second race. He started rear of the field, won the race, took a new black record, and then was told he couldn't start the third race because he didn't qualify in that car and he wouldn't uh, be eligible for points. So that was the end of that one. Uh, improved production. They raced uh, their under and overs together before the finals and then they split up. And uh, Kurt McCready, of course, was a fairly comfortable winner in the unders, and Ben Alge was a fairly convincing winner in the overs. So in New South Wales at the moment, if you're not in a Nissan Sylvia, you are nowhere. Formula V's probably put on the best racing of the whole weekend with um, Darren Williams winning the first race, Craig's Park winning the second. Then we had a great final. Lots of cars in it. And Michael Kinsella, who was probably sported the first four cars a fair gap, uh, managed to catch him and got the lever for Lap to go, but as Darren Williams just uh, managed to pip him out at the checkered flag to take the win there. And that just about covered that off. Oh, Sports Advance. Well, you didn't mention Sports Advance and uh, a 128. I wonder from, why, uh, I Gaz. I wonder why.
0: Was there a couple of fast rotors out front, though?
1: Oh, there was one fast one there. Uh, Brad Shule, Uh did a 28 in qualifying, would you believe? <laughs> and, And if you don't know how quick a 28 is, that's sort of uh, what a certain Audi, ship out Audi out of Victoria can do those sorts of times. And um, was well and truly in front in the first race, broke a half shaft. So he was out. He came from the back of the field in the second. Ties, dice with uh, Steve Lacey. And Steve Lacey actually ended up winning when they had a fuel sensor issue with the rotor. And uh, where they thought it was out, it oh, thought it was out of fuel, and actually it wasn't. So, um, yeah, he finished up second. And then he easily won the third with uh, the Ingrams coming through to um, take a second spot in their new uh, RX-7. It's uh, the the triple rotor. And, boy, that car fast and start. Part, <coughs> I'll get it right. Fast in a straight line. It uh, it was blisteringly quick down the straight. It came from the rear of the field because they had some issues in qualifying uh sorry in the, in the start of the second race never started one had a um the rx7 i think had an oil leak the rx8 uh had a scrutineering issue uh with the window net there was a regulation change at the beginning of this month that they um weren't aware of it they had it had a window net but it wasn't quite right i don't know the full story behind it but they've got to run a an issue run there. In a
0: straight plane now whereas though apparently yeah they may have been sloped
1: here yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 it, no, well, um, it should have honestly... well it should have been logged it shouldn't have been it shouldn't yes. have been not allowed to
0: start that's stupid Or well, maybe maybe it was logged at a previous race meeting we don't, we don't uh, it. couldn't
1: have been because this is the first meeting of the month so
0: yeah okay uh, what um what um that the black RX seven, because that's come out of um Pace Innovations, the build for that um
1: Yeah, that that's um Ingram Brothers, isn't it? I think that started life as a um as an improved production car. And no, and just no, as,
0: no, 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 that's a, oh, a round build. Yeah, oh, round up build. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah. I know yeah. the Rx eight is is it one of the Bruce Henley cars that yeah, came over you're from right America? there? That that's had a really big yeah.
0: happy birthday from that yeah, era, that's for sure. The, the black one worth, is a
1: ground-up build. Yeah. The other thing worth mentioning is the second round of the ARB Australian Off-Road Championship, which happened at Hillston, which is down in the Riverina near Griffith. Uh, Brett Martin and Andre de Simone uh, took that out in their Nissan V6 turbo-powered uh, gym car. They won it ahead of Greg Gartner and Jamie Jennings in the F-150 with the SVO Six liter engine and Danny Brown, Brown and George Apt in another of the Nissan powered uh, pro buggies. Uh, sorry, I get it right. Unlimited buggies. Uh, different terminology between uh, one Australian Championship and the other means the same thing, but they've we call them by different names. So he's in a Lamudi craft unlimited buggy. Uh, probably the sad story was that the pace setter from Saturday, which trying to find where he finished, which was Dale Martin and Adrian Ray. They're in the Alpha uh, Class 11 machine. It's uh, powered by a 7-litre Chev LS engine. (laughs) He led the first day, but they had a torque converter issue on the Sunday, which ruled them out.
0: I'll tell you what, a seven-litre uh, will get the job done, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah, you've got yeah, a fair we, bit you're of, not going to uh, get
1: bogged anywhere, are you? No, you've got a fair bit <laughs> of thought can't... to drag you through
0: it. A <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, so couple of things about coming wrap...
0: up. Yeah, Come, yeah sorry, coming just up just wrapped, yes, wrapped um, up everything. Yeah. Certainly, we were just talking uh, before we came on air. The ARC is in Queensland, and uh, the word is there's some great entries there, and uh, fantastic that they're combining also with the... Uh, the Queensland, uh, uh, the sorry, the Queensland Rally Championship. Um, so it'll be a uh, it'll be a good show next next weekend.
1: Yeah, there's, it's it's fairly quiet this time of the year. We tend to go a little bit quiet because the the winter months is a bit hard to drag people out. The other major event, I guess, we can talk about as far as club racing goes. It's Sydney Three Hundreds on at Sydney Motorsport Park on Saturday night, uh, being live streamed by our friends at. Um, Blend line. And uh, split there. they've got a bit of work on next weekend. They're also doing the power boats at Cogra Bay across the weekend. So they've got to split their resources to cover both. So, what
0: you're covering both guys, you're going you're to run out the M5 to do uh, Eastern Creek and then come back yeah, Cogra Bay, hey?
1: I don't, I don't think I need to go to uh, Sydney Motorsport Park. Cogra <laughs> Bay is just down the road. I might go there. Going off the
0: media coming out of Sydney Motorsport Park, I would suggest, yes, yeah, stay away. It's going to be a
1: chilly night, I guarantee you that. But they've got a big field. They've got over 50 cars entered for that one, and it's all split up into classes based on lap times. And there's quite a good support package. I think entry is basically free of charge, so if anyone wants to go out and have a look, they're quite welcome. Of course, Queensland Raceway will host round
0: two of the Shannon's Trophy Series on the 4th, 5th, and 6th of August at Queensland Raceway. Looking forward to... Getting up to that one and uh, having a bit of a thaw out as well. And the weekend after for all of us in Victoria, in fact, uh, for, for many interstaters that seem to be joining in on the Victorian state circuit racing championships these days on the 11th, 12th and 13th of August uh, at Sandown. So uh, traditionally being nicknamed the hot dog round because uh, the Sports Down Association make uh, about 4,000 um uh, pots of hot dogs and try and feed all the officials something warm throughout the day. But uh, oh, you'll be right sort of then. Stand down. Oh, well, I'm only but, just upstairs from where you? they do it.
1: So, yeah, <laughs>
0: there's a special they, pot mate?
1: with my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> never missed a good feed in your life, have you? <laughs> exactly. So, plenty
0: still going on in motorsport. Gaz, that's been a, uh, a long old show tonight. Brett was was. Uh, fantastic good to chat and it's really cool to get i guess a, a different genre of motorsport represented on uh, on the grassroots racing podcast um i reckon uh, that's a wrap sounds good to me good night good night from gary and it's good night from me good night good night, des
1: you've just listened to another network R production